Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. We're going to talk some USC football recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at gmartlive. All our contact information is on our website, peristylepodcast.com. We're not going to go through all that stuff because you know how to get a hold of us. Just go to peristylepodcast.com. We want to get right into the meat of it. We want to get into the heart of Gmart Live. We talked about recruiting this Clay Helton this first year, and it was going to depend on the season. Now we're seeing why, and it's all kind of coming together. USC can finish strong. Recruiting will be fine. All the chicken littles, you don't have to worry so much. But let's welcome in Gerard. He'll give it to you. He'll give you the straight poop. What is up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And like you said, you know, we got a lot of questions during the year and in September, and people want to know, hey, how's the recruiting class going to play out? And you can't really give accurate answers to those questions until you see sort of how the season plays out. Because it definitely does have some impact on the year and impact on certain recruits. And certainly if USC can win out, and we're still, you know, two weeks away from knowing whether that's going to happen or not. Uh, but if they can win out and they can hit those in-home visits, they hit those in-home visits with a lot of momentum. And Clay Helton and the coaching staff has something to point to. And it's pretty pretty amazing feat at that point what they're pointing to and you can say you know what that team that you saw in September against Alabama that's not the team we are and that's not the team we're going to be Uh, the team we're going to be is the team you've seen you know the last six seven weeks of the season and you know we're moving forward in in a much better direction and and it's always you know the, the program on the rise is always an easy thing to sell on the recruiting trail we talked about the program with a clean slate new coaching staffs come in they can make all kinds of promises. It's easy to recruit that, but it's maybe even easier to recruit a program on the rise. And right now, USC is a program on the rise. So we'll see how they finish out the season. But it definitely has an impact, and uh, it, it's why you know we sort of stay away from trying to make any big predictions in September or even earlier than that um, You know, when it comes to recruiting. Well, <clears throat> this all kind of played out, Gerard, and I, I don't think this is the – I mean, it's not this way every year. Um, you didn't have to worry about, oh, USC lost to UCLA this year, or they're going to lose this recruit. It's usually not like that. But this year was kind of unique just because, you know, it was all the, the promise and hope and everything from last year when Clay Helton was hired. Uh, and you just weren't sure what you were going to get, especially early in the season when there was rumblings about him not being able to retain his job. Uh, that's all gone away. And now they've made this crazy run. You beat a, you know, a top four team on the road. Uh, in Washington, and then you have a chance to sweep your rivals, um, which hasn't happened yet. But you know, certainly there's a you know strong possibility USC will be a double-digit favorites in both of those. It kind of renews recruiting, and I don't know how much this had to do with the, our next topic, which is you know Jack Sears switching over uh, from Duke to USC. But that seems to me, at least you know, get your opinion, like, like the first of many probably dominoes that are going to fall. Part partial, you know, in part because USC showed that hey, it's still a talented team. 
Clay Helton's a capable coach, and they can go on and uh, and win a lot of games with him at the helm. It definitely shows one that they have a plan, and that what Clay Helton talks, you know, when he's when he's talking to these kids and the message that he has, there's substance behind it. Uh, that's that's a big deal, you know. I think the parents and the recruits themselves want to know that a coach has a message and a philosophy that is actually being applied on the field. And the only way you see that is if there's wins. Um, you know, there can be a lot of talk behind the scenes with players and how their interaction is with coaches and everything. But if you're losing games, it just doesn't manifest. And so that's a big deal. I think a bigger deal is obviously if Clay Helton wins, his future at USC is solidified uh, much more so than it was when we were in, you know, September at the beginning of October. Uh, because we talked about, you know, the out-of-state recruiting, and I've always said out-of-state recruiting, the one thing that can kill it, the kryptonite for out-of-state recruiting is uncertainty. And when you have a coaching staff that's on the hot seat, and you said, you know, after last season, the promise, there really wasn't a lot of promise from last season. Yes, they beat UCLA, but then they turned around and lost that bowl game, and that sort of it mitigated a little bit. Um, now, certainly they closed – with a lot of promise in terms of the recruiting process. And, and, and certainly you would say that that signing day uh, 2016 was big for them and they closed strong and that brought some promise and some people started to think, okay, well, hey, the guy can at least crew. The funny thing is, is we're at this point now where we got in October and we're getting November and a lot of USC fans are questioning, can Clay Helton recruit? So, you know, it's sort of cyclical how these things happen and, and the wins and losses and how they affect. And if you're, you know, not focused on one thing, if you're focused on the other and complaining about that, now USC's winning. Now all of a sudden the attention for the USC fans is going towards the recruiting trail. Okay, we're winning, but now what are we doing on the recruiting trail? <laughs> and right now on the recruiting trail, it looks like they're still stuck in September where they're losing games. And so, you know, USC fans are a little nervous, but, you know, as we said in September about them winning games, you kind of have to wait and see. We can't totally write the season off in September. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. It's just like writing a game off in the first quarter. You know, you've got three more quarters left. You just don't know what's going to happen. And same thing with recruiting. We're only at the beginning of when recruiting starts to matter. Okay, once you start to get into November and you get into like mid to late November, you've got in-home visits coming up here in the next couple weeks. You're going to have your first really big official visit weekend of the year, November 26th, with Notre Dame coming into town. You should see a handful of recruits coming in for that weekend. Uh, this is really when it starts to matter now. So once we get into January, then it becomes, okay, what's the board look like? Who do they have on visits? And it becomes a little more like, okay, this is, this is now we're seeing sort of the home stretch and how this might play out. And things can still change from week to week. And certainly, you know, you can have a guy out there like a Dory Jackson that, you know, you're just not really 100% sure what he's going to do, where he's going to go. And that obviously impacts the class a lot. But just overall, in terms of the strategy and the plan B's and the plan C's and sort of those types of things that the coaching staff has to be uh, kind of ahead of the curve on, you have to be proactive in, in setting up those plans. That's when you really get to see, okay, are they recruiting well or are they not recruiting well? Um, because at that point, you're in January. Uh, you're, yeah, you, you, you kind of have to have those plans already in place and ready to go. And we saw that with Steve Sarkeesian and Peter Sherman as uh, recruiting coordinator. They were really good about keeping a step ahead 
of anything that might happen. A guy might uh, decommit. A guy might go to a, a school that nobody thought he was going to go to and USC was thinking they were going to get him. There was always sort of a pivot there that they could go to, and they were ahead of the game, and they were very proactive and aggressive in recruiting that way. And we'll see if Clay Helton is the same. You know, we saw like last year, everything sort of fell into place at the end. That's just sort of how it felt. Everything just sort of fell into place. The guys that they were hoping to get, boom, 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 just sort of happened. A little different this year because, again, we're not looking at USC recruiting for a clean slate. New coaching staff, you can come in. There's no uh, you know, nepotism here. Everybody's going to compete for a starting spot. This is we are recruiting for the season we just had, and we have something in place, and this is what you're coming into as a recruit, as a top prospect. So it's a little different in what they're recruiting. But as you stated, Jack Sears, he bought into it. Jack Sears sees the product on the field. He likes USC. I think more than anything, he started to see Duke for what it was in terms of a football program. I think he liked Duke, but Duke's great in the offseason. <laughs> Duke's great in the summer. But then once you see these games and you go to an Army game and there's 20,000 people there, it's sort of a, a, a slap to the, to the face of reality okay, this is not quite the level of football that I was looking forward to playing in. This is a little smaller than I want to play in. And so I think just USC and sort of the aura, the atmosphere, their tradition, and obviously seeing Sam Darnold being successful at USC, he's like, man, he's been successful. I saw him at uh, San Clemente. I played behind him at San Clemente. I know what he can do. I feel like I can do some of those things too. So it, it translates very well to him, and I think that more than anything, that success – is why Jack Sears is now Trojan. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to have a top recruiting class without a quarterback. You know, we've seen, you know, good ones and stuff, but usually you kind of need that quarterback. And that's maybe the first, that's why I say it's kind of the first domino, Gerard, is that you you look at the roster, Max Brown's going to leave. You realize only two score, you know, scholarship quarterbacks, and they're not really, they didn't have one committed. They weren't really in on one. Uh, there was a couple out there we talked about, and Jack Sears being one of them. And there was some potential. There's Matt Corral for 2018, but you weren't really sure what was going on. So I, I don't think this would have been a successful recruiting class without a quarterback. And of all the choices out all. there, yeah, with all the choices yeah. out there, it seems like Jack Sears is the best fit and, you know, the, the highest ranked guy that, you know, the one that's going to work the best. So that's why I think to me, it's a first domino that, like you've been saying, you got to wait and see. This was a wait and see kind of year. Now that they're winning, people have confidence in the staff and Clay Helton, and you'll probably see a whole bunch of other, you know, higher ranked <laughs> uh, prospects start to commit, you know, between now and signing day. And, you know, I don't want to patronize people and sit here and go, yeah, we told you to wait and see because we had this idea that USC was going to turn it all around and they were going to be great at the end of the season. That's not that at all. I would have never guessed USC had a shot to finish top 10 nationally. Uh, at the end of the season after watching them play their first three, four games. Not in a million years. I, I wouldn't have. They, they, they have turned the season around a lot. I, I don't want to overstate it, though, because, I mean, they do have two more games, and they've got you know a couple pretty good defenses that they're going to be playing here in UCLA and Notre Dame. And I know people are going to laugh and say, Notre Dame, Notre, Notre Dame's actually – uh, ranked pretty high in overall defense uh, statistically. Um, and they've got talent. You know, Notre Dame recruits at, at a high level. So you, know, you think about those games, USC's got to be consistent. Now they're king of the hill, and they're playing from a point of being favored. And so we're going to have to see how they play in that light. You know, they've been favored in other games, 
But I think up until this point, we've all looked at every game and thought, they could probably lose that game. And even, even games against like Cal and Arizona State, you kind of go, yeah, they should win this game, but goodness gracious, what we've seen from them in the first couple games doesn't instill a lot of confidence in predicting, oh, they're just going to go and blow all these teams out. But they have done that. They've blown the teams out that they should have blown out, and they've handled, obviously, a team in Washington that is a very good team, uh, I don't want to say it's a great team. I don't think there's any great teams in the Pac-12. I got a little bit of guff on Twitter for stating that after the Washington game. But the truth is, Pac-12 is bad, folks. It's not a good conference right now. To clearly see that in the bowl games, it's, you know, how does it compare with the Big 12? I don't think the Big 12 is great either. Um, I think you're more, you know, Big 10 and, and SEC are sort of the cream of the crop right now. Um, but, but still, within this bubble of, okay, they're playing Pac-12 teams, uh, USC is definitely – uh, shown that they are one of the better teams in the Pac-12. So that's saying something, because I don't think we would have said that after that Stanford game uh, at all, and certainly not after the Utah game. Uh, you know, So, yeah, certainly they've turned around the season. It's a big deal, and it definitely has an impact on recruiting. Uh, with Jack Sears, obviously, I think it did have an impact with him as well. Um, we're just going to have to see how much of an impact it has with other players. But more, it's not the wins themselves. It's just sort of the feel of the program, the vibe of the program, and I think that's really significant. Um, let's go to – okay, so just to let people know, up on uscfootball.com right now, once a month Gerard updates and puts up these new uh, uh, boards, um, what am I, the target list for offense and defense. I was blanking on the name there for a second. It's not that hard of a name. <laughs> target list. Uh yeah, so those are up there. Uh, you have to be a subscriber to uscfootball.com, so check it out. If, you, if you're not a subscriber, do a seven-day free trial. It's, if you're listening to this podcast about USC recruiting and you're not a subscriber, there's something wrong. You should definitely get in there. It's so cheap, and you get so much information from Gerard. Um, so great stuff there on USC recruiting. We're, gonna, we're not going to give like an update of the target list. We'll just kind of go through the questions if that works for you, Gerard, because I think they touch on a lot of the different um, you know, prospects that you were talking about in the list. Okay, and, and we will dive into the target list a little bit in the war room, which is going to be coming up uh, for Friday. And this is sort of a point kind of mentioned. A recruiting starting to become important. You know, this is when it starts to begin where you start to make your steps toward signing day. And there's definitely some shifts. There's been some shifts in the target list, and there's certainly some shifts coming in terms of the committed class, how many guys USC is going to take. We're probably going to have a little information in there about possible transfers, uh, guys leaving early for the NFL. There's going to be a lot of questions here that are actually going to come up in the, in the next couple of weeks just in terms of, you know, how many guys will USC be taking in this class? This could end up being a very big class. This is, can end up being bigger than a full 25 class just with all the chatter going on about uh, guys leaving early for the NFL and possible transfers and certainly – the class as is right now, and I've gotten this question a couple times in the peristyle, is not set. I'll just say that. I'll just leave that hint out there for people. It is not set right now. So people are saying, well, USC has such and such commits right now. Race that. That's not really true. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Well, that's a good uh, segue to our first question from Charles and Carson. Um, Charles in charge and Carson. He wants to know, he said, I noticed that we have 12 and he calls them non-rated players. So that's that's what it comes to, Gerard. If it's not a four or five star guy, there's it's non-rated. 
which is not true. A non-rated not... guy is basically for scout a guy that's not in the scout 300. So that's what a non-rated player is. Maybe that's what they're saying. Okay, he said so. He's 12 non-rated players that are committed to the Trojans. The team that just beat Washington has four and five star recruits. How are we ever going to take it to the next level if we're not going to bring in the best recruits? Well, we talked about this, you know, a lot just in terms of the stars and how USC is recruiting. This coaching staff is going after guys they like for their system, and they are not recruiting by the scout database. Um, and that's, you know, to be commendable, I, I think that you have to sort of look and see what your system is and feel confident in going after the type of guys you want. Um, but, again, this is not the entirety of the class, and certainly every good class, every good class I think that I've ever seen, you know, a school really kind of, Land one of those really oh wow okay that's that's you know that's one of those classes that is going to be a memorable class. It tends to happen in January. That's where you really see the class come together. Last year we saw that with USC. We saw that in 2014-15 when you had Dory Jackson and Damian Mama and Juju Smith and all those guys, the big three, commit on signing day to USC. You're always going to have that sort of handful of guys that you want to close with strong. Florida State sort of started that back in the 90s when they everybody would question like oh man Florida State they're doing you know a really good team but man they got like eight guys that they're going to have to sign here in the next like 2 3 weeks and what did they do they signed eight nine guys in the last couple weeks that were all Americans and they were great players and so i think for a lot of schools you know that's where you want to set yourself up for and like i said before USC has 16 commits right now um, on the board, 16 guys that have really committed. But that number is, is not really 16. That number is probably closer to 12, 13 maybe. So we're going to see some things shift. We're going to see guys shake loose. We're going to see decommitments. We're going to see all that kind of stuff. It, it's just sort of a part of the game right now. And I think USC is still in a good place in terms of playing that game. Um, they're not at the level of Alabama, uh, maybe not even Ohio State. I think that, you know, that's when you start to talk about the amount of money you put in a support staff and the amount of recruiters you have on the, on the, on the staff. Well, USC probably is the only real question for them. It's not Clay Helton, uh, because I think Clay Helton is a very, very good recruiter and a very good recruiter in home. I've been told so by coaches that have been in home with other really good recruiters. And Clay Helton is actually very, very good. He, 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 he relates well to not only the kids, but really well with the parents. Um, he has a message. He's very sincere in his message. It, it just plays well in home. And so as far as being a closer in that respect, he does well. It's really a matter of him continuing to build his resume and build credibility with wins. That's, that's the biggest thing that he doesn't have right now. And if he can get that and he can finish this season strong and he has something to point to and say, look, this is what we did. This is where we're at at a program right now, Okay. Next year, we're taking the next step. Now, granted, you're going to have some, you know, Dory Jackson leaves, Juju Smith leaves. You're going to have some vacancies. But that in itself, this coaching staff is smart enough to sell. The question is going to be, does Clay Helton have enough assistance on his staff that can go out there and be that relentless, be those bulldogs on the recruiting trail to really turn favor with maybe a couple guys that are not maybe not even on the fence, but sort of leaning somewhere else. Because that's when you really see the, the really great, you know, recruiters and the really great classes come together is when you're able to pull those guys in 
that are sort of eh, kind of on the cusp of not going to USC and then boom, closing with them. Those guys like Ed Ergeron. Um, you know, USC's had some really good recruiters. This staff is definitely more coaching first, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And we've seen that with guys decommitting. We've seen that where, you know, they don't think they're getting contacted enough. Well, the focus for, you know, Clancy Pendergast is an NFL guy. We knew when he got hired, he's going to be recruiting so much as, okay, bring me the guys, you know, <laughs> bring me who you think are guys. I'll look at them, and then I'll sign off on them. That's kind of sort of how he recruits. He's not out there texting kids every day and DMing them and getting in the Snapchat and doing all those crazy things that the real relentless recruiters that are guys that make the names for themselves are doing. And so – you know, it, it, that's really the question. T. Martin is the, the best recruiter on the staff, but he's also the offensive coordinator. And just because they'll head in the offseason, and it's not really the offseason, it's just the bowl preparation, but after the season, doesn't mean that he's just going to be free to go out and just recruit like a wild man. He's still going to have bowl preparation and game planning and things that they're going to do. That's going to limit him in that, in that respect. So you got to have guys like Kenichi Odizi step up and become great recruiters. they got to become relentless. they got to just be bulldogs. And they, they need the same thing from the offensive line coach. That's going to be the question. Do they have it in them to be relentless? And that's going to be the difference between you know, having a good recruiting class and a great recruiting class, in my opinion. And so you're talking the difference between being you know, top 10, you know, 12, something like that, and getting into that top five range. You know, when you want to close and you want to really be way up there, um, these assistant coaches are going to have to bring it. And we've seen already the support staff can bring it. The support staff has, has gone above and beyond for USC, but they're still not at a point, and this is where I compare them to Alabama and Ohio State or Clemson. They're still not you know, at, at that range where you've got this crazy amount of investment in it and with, with guys that have been, you know, head coaches of their places. And, you know, USC is, is – they don't have any guys that were ex-head coaches on the support staff like Alabama, who I think has three of them. You know, Alabama and Clemson are, are somewhere in that $3 million range just in the amount of money they put in their support staffs. So that's where USC is a little behind the curve when it comes to this kind of thing. But I think in terms of knowing – how to recruit and being ahead of the curve in terms of tactics and strategy, I think they're there at the top. And I think that's going to help them very well. It's just going to be a matter of how much grind are they willing to put in when it comes down to it here in December and January to close with a guy like Jay Tufeli or, or, or some of these dudes that maybe they're trying to flip from a Southern school uh, to try to get into USC. It's, those are the kind of guys that they've got us a little bit of ground to make up and it's just going to be amount of, you know, resilience and, and consistency that they have in recruiting these guys because there's going to be other coaches out there doing the same thing. Let's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, let's talk a little quarterback recruiting. Obviously, it's changed since our last recruiting podcast. We have some questions about Jack Sears. Uh, Tarek wrote in said, "How does Jack Sears compare uh, arm strength wise to Sam Darnold?" Not as good. Um, he has a good arm above average arm, but not quite uh, as, as good as Sam Darnold. I, I don't know how to gauge that. You know, I can not know this is statistic in terms of, you know, how quickly he gets the ball out on a specific route, but uh, not quite as good as Sam Darnold. But he a very good arm nonetheless. Definitely uh, a much stronger arm than Matt Fink um, and a much stronger arm than Cody Kessler, uh, but probably not quite the cannon that Sam Darnold has. Okay. Um we had an interesting one from Bear Secutor. 
So we said Ryan would love to see Gerard GM and Yogi Roth appear in a recruiting podcast sometime, focusing on quarterback recruit, recruiting, especially uh, assessing the pantheon of most recent USC quarterback recruits and almost recruits whose whom Peristyle acolytes are familiar with. Uh, there's a that's a mouthful there. So would love to hear the assessment of these guys as high school players, uh, relative strengths and merits. And he talks about Sam Darnold. Shea Patterson, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, Jack Sears, Matt Corral, and Max Brown. And uh, we don't have Yogi Roth on, but if you check out the site, we had uh, I talked to Yogi about Jack Sears. We put up a, like a six-minute highlight video of Jack Sears from different Elite 11 uh, camp settings, and Yogi Roth kind of talks about what he likes. He's very high on Jack Sears, so you can check out his assessment of Jack Sears up on uscfootball.com right now. Yeah, and that was a, a great, you know, kind of different perspective um, seeing Jack Sears from a coaching standpoint, you know, because Yogi's up there with the Elite 11 and, and interacts with those guys, you know, not only on the field but off the field. So he had some really, really nice things to say about Jack Sears and, and he tweeted some stuff, and I thought, wow, that that's that's be interesting to see kind of why he feels so strongly about that. So definitely check out that video, great piece. Um, in terms of comparing and contrasting all these guys, uh, certainly, I think Sam Donald is, is up there in terms of arm strength. Uh, Shea Patterson was the most wily. Uh, he kind of has it all in terms of being really good outside the pocket. Um, he can run. He's not really a scrambler. He's not as athletic as Jack Sears. Actually, I think Jack Sears out of that group is, is by a good margin the best athlete. I mean, this is a guy that runs 4-7, sub 4-7, uh, electronic 40. Um, he's, he's not really as, I think, Quickness in terms of the instincts and the awareness within the pocket probably go to Sam Darnold. Um, he he just has a good feel for sort of where he needs to be, can sidestep, uh, you know, the pressure inside the pocket, and just make little subtle moves that are all the difference in between, you know, being sacked and just giving yourself another split second to be able to get that ball off and get positive yards. And so, you know, Sam Darnold is not Tim Tebow. He's he's not this amazing runner. I would probably compare him more to like an Andrew Luck where he can just run enough to, to keep the offense in positive yards. And it's just such a huge difference between being, you know, in a, in a third and 13 and a third and seven or a third and eight. It's just, we saw that in the Washington game. So, you know, Sam Darnold sort of has that magic to him that, that sort of je ne sais quoi where you're like, well, he's, he's athletic, but, but if you put him on a time and a clock next to a guy like Jack Sears, Jack Sears is going to win all day. Jack Sears is going to jump higher. He's going to run faster. Uh, he's, he's freaking crazy with his Powerball throws or, or like 40-plus. Um, so he, Jack Sears is an incredible athlete. I think, you know, sort of what, what illustrates the difference between Sears and Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold played linebacker uh, as a sophomore for San Clemente. Um, so you look at him, and he was all-league basketball. He's a guy that was definitely a good athlete, but sort of in a different way, maybe a more physical way uh, it's with, with his build, and he's a bigger guy, he's a stronger guy. Whereas, you know, Greg Biggins said if, if you know, Jack Sears was to play another position, he could probably be a D1 receiver. So I think that sort of illustrates the differences in, between Sam Darnold and Jack Sears. You know, Sam Darnold, if, you know, he put on weight and played another position, he'd be more of a linebacker. Uh, Jack Sears, if he's playing another position, would probably be more of a wide receiver. So that's sort of, you know, those two guys is sort of a contrast. Shane Patterson, like I said, just he has, he's crafty. He's got moxie. 
Um, he's, he's pretty quick, and he throws a beautiful ball. Uh, and he wears the number 20 as a quarterback, which is interesting in and of itself. So I think that's, uh, that's something to be noted. <laughs> Not too many quarterbacks get away with that, but uh, he did, and he's probably going to be a really good one for Ole Miss here. Yeah. Uh, the, last, you know, the last guy that is of relevance, because Max Brown is, is, is transferring from USC, so it's kind of like you know water under the bridge at this point. Uh, but Matt Corral, who's there in the future, 2018, committed to USC. Um, Corral is, is probably most similar to Patterson, just in terms of build, um, his throwing the ball. Uh, I think he throws a little better ball than Jack Sears at this point. Um, may have a, a little better arm even at this point. Uh, not, again, quite the athlete as Sears in, in, in getting out of the pocket, but he is quick enough to move and sidestep and do those things. Um, he, he throws a really pretty ball, and that's kind of sort of, I think, what, if I'm comparing all these guys, I'd probably pull him closer to Patterson than I would Darnold or Sears, just in terms of the ball placement that he has. It's really important as a quarterback. I mean, you can chuck the ball downfield, you know, 100 yards and, and have the great arm. And we see that with Sam Darnold all the time where, you know, th- there's still a lot of instances where he kind of throws off his back foot a little bit too much. But he's got such a good arm, he still gets it there quick enough that the de- defensive back really doesn't have an opportunity to break on the football. Um, a guy like, you know, Matt Corral, the thing about him is that he's very good, technically pretty sound, but he's very good about putting the ball where the receiver can get it and keep running, uh, he, or, or protect himself if it's across the middle. Um, he does a really good ball, a ball placement for him is, is kind of first and foremost, and I think that's what makes Patterson really good too. Really catchable ball out in front of the receiver, and he can do something with it. And so you see a lot of yak yards from uh, receivers that, that play with uh, Shea Patterson or uh, Matt Corral. So that's sort of a quick rundown of, of those guys and sort of how they, how they relate and sort of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so with success in quarterback recruiting, Gerard, you're going to get questions like this next one. Um, you know, we saw uh, Max Wittick transfer. We're going to see uh, Max Brown transfer. We saw Ricky town transfer. So it's, you know, it's, it's happening a lot more. So I get why people would ask this. This is from Dan class of 1962. He said, recruiting is our key to future success, and we have seen this year the quarterback position is key. We have a great one in Sam Darnold, and Matt Fink is a quality backup. With Sears making uh, oral commitment, oral commitment, I like that. It's verbal, but that's fine. Um, it looks like we have a good future of starting quarterbacks. However, with Matt Corral likely to come in 2018, would you see the same situation as this year where Brown and Darnold, uh, with Brown and Darnold, where no one has to leave uh, where one of them has to leave to get playing time. Of the three, Sears, Fink, and Corral, who would you project as a starter after Sam leaves in possibly one year? Fight on from Dan. That's that's really difficult to say. Um, I mean, you're talking about a, a true freshman at that point in Corral, and you're probably talking about uh, maybe a redshirt freshman in Sears. Um, but then, you know, Corral could end up redshirting too, so he could have two years uh, I, it, it, there's, there's a little more because you have that red shirt. There's a little more separation than, you know, the guys coming in right in the next class and you just think, Oh, he's only got a year to play that. That's always sort of how it looks at face value. And then, you know, the guy red shirts and you realize, okay, there's, there's a little more time for him uh, to be eligible. Uh, but I mean, you're, you're basically comparing, okay, how does Sears stack up against Matt Corral right now against San, uh, Matt Fink, who will be in the program a couple of years ahead of those guys. Um, 
I mean, it's it's a it's a really it's a projection. Of, I mean, it's far away. I, I I mean, Corral is the guy I think with the most natural talent as a quarterback. I think he sort of has maybe the most when you're talking about the on the field ability and sort of those intangibles. Like we talked with Sam Darnold, sort of that that magic that he has to make plays. Um, but you know, I mean, Jack Sears could end up being the best of the bunch because of his physical attributes and the fact that. You know, that kind of athlete, we're just starting to see. This is, it's funny because, you know, Sam Darnold is the first guy that they brought in as a quarterback that has enough athletic ability that he can keep the defense guessing in terms of whether it's going to be a run or a pass or he can take advantage of opportunities where the defense decides to play USC like a pro style offense and does not have a spire, does not have somebody there to keep tabs on Sam Darnold. This is all new for the Pac-12. I mean, USC's never had that. They never really tried to take advantage of that. Even in past situations where you had a guy like Cody Kessler, who was more mobile than I think people gave him credit for, USC just never tried to take advantage of it. And it's something, and I know I've been beating this dead horse for years now about USC running read option and having no option. It never made sense to me why you would have that type of offense, and this was Steve Sarkeesian when he came in, he really accentuated it, running out of the shotgun 99% of the time, and your quarterback is never going to run the ball. And the defense knows they're never going to run the ball. And so they just crash down on the running back every time, and it, it's just, it doesn't help your running game, and it's, just, it's sort of mind-boggling to not have your quarterback at least run by design a few times a game to keep the defense honest. And so with Sam Darnold, this is the first time you have a guy that can actually keep the defense honest. And really, there was a couple opportunities they missed, I felt, in the Washington game to run Sam Darnold. I mean, you had the outside linebackers crashing down really hard and not respecting the read option at all. USC didn't actually really run a lot of read option looks. Most of those handoffs were just handoffs. But there were opportunities to run read option. And I think USC could have got some first downs even on top of you know, the, the, the drives that they had uh, if they would have ran Sam Darnold a couple more times. Really, the runs with Sam Darnold against Washington were just opportunistic scrambles, which are huge because, again, it's taking you from a possible negative play or at the very least just an incomplete pass because the, the quarterback has to throw the ball away to all of a sudden you got four yards. I mean, four yards, that's what you want to get as a, as a team rushing the ball. If you can get four yards on first down, four yards on second down, you're in really good shape on third down. So those are just huge. People don't realize how they accumulate over the course of a football game. So this is the first time we've actually seen a guy like Sam Darnold really come in and, and, and make the defense have to respect the quarterback position beyond just passing the ball. So Jack Sears is a guy that is even faster and even more of a threat to be able to run and, and take it 40, 50 yards. Sam Darnold's probably a threat to take it maybe 20, 30 yards. But, you know, a guy like Jack Sears with that kind of speed can even take it even further. So we don't know how he'll develop within that offense. He may just take off. So that's why I'm hesitant to, you know, make all these grand predictions about, oh, who's going to be this guy and who's going to be that guy. We don't really know. But, I mean, in terms of just the natural talent and overall right now, like if we had to play, throw these guys together and say, okay, go play football at USC, I guess my money would probably be on Matt Corral. All right. Interesting. Um, let's see. We got a question from 
Who is it? Oh, it's Keone. Uh, I think K-E-O-N-I. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Keone from Las Vegas. He said, questions for Gmart. Uh, I was wondering what the status for Tua Tagovailoa is now that Jack Sears committed to the Trojans. Is there any update on Bubba Bolden and Greg Rogers or any of the talented kids coming out of Las Vegas? Thanks for the great podcast. Fight on. Uh, Keone from Las Vegas. Uh, it's, I would assume Tua Tagovailoa is probably off the board for USC right now. I haven't heard specifically um, yet as to whether he might be a guy that they still bring on a visit, but I highly doubt it. I, I think that they found a really good spot for, for Jack Sears, and, and he kind of fits what they're looking for perfectly. I don't think they want to mess that up. And he's, a, and he's an early enrollee, and, and to my knowledge, I think Tua Tagovailoa is still – I don't think he's going to be able to graduate in December. I, 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 he, he said he might, and then I heard he was going to, and then I heard, no, he can't. So I, I don't know for sure, you know, 100% if he's going to be an early grad or not, but we know Jack Sears is going to be, and we know how important that's going to be for USC because you're going to have Max Brown leave, and you're only going to have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster for spring football, which is not enough, even for spring football. So, yeah, I don't think you want to screw up <laughs> the Jack Sears deal right now. It's a perfect fit. It's it's a great get for USC, and I don't think they would uh, want to fool around with that by bringing uh, Tagovailoa in. Um, now, in terms of the Vegas guys, Greg Rogers talked a little bit about him uh, earlier this week. Uh, heard some sort of back and forth, like you know maybe he was not necessarily just going to go to UCLA, uh, but now from what we heard, he's going to UCLA. He'll 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 be uh, coming to UCLA. He was actually supposed to commit to UCLA yesterday, so I'm not really sure what the delay is with that um i'll have to follow up on that and see if maybe something changed or if there's any second thoughts i kind of doubt it um there'll be a little more in the war room about him uh and uh bolden another war room thing um he's uh and there might be something going on with him uh usc's not out of it with him obviously he was a commit to usc over the summer decommitted um, and has been looking at uh, various schools, Ohio State especially, Ohio State, basically trying to recruit everybody from Bishop Gorman. Uh, but uh, there's some, uh, yeah, there's some 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 good vibes with uh, Bubba Bolden as of late. We'll see uh, how that kind of goes as uh, we get into the thick of recruiting here next two months. And uh, Randall Grimes still commit, right? He's another Vegas. Guy. Randall Grimes is still committed. He just got uh, a scholarship offer from Nebraska, so potential he might be taking a couple visits, uh, but still a solid commit to USC. Let's go to John and Brea. He says, okay, I'm totally addicted to the podcast. Thanks, I think. That's him saying that. But I thank you for being addicted to the podcast. John, he said, this is for Gerard and your next recruiting podcast. Maybe I'm just sensitive to all the Washington hype. Uh, but having Chris Peterson label his recruits as, quote, unquote, our kind of guys and even apply an acronym, OKGs, sounds like marketing to me. Does that kind of stuff resonate with recruits? Isn't that what everyone does? Does Clay Helton recruit players that aren't USC's kind of guys? Thanks for your time, John and Brea. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty good observation. Um, it sort of also is a means to an end. Uh, kind of gives you like, well, the guys that we got are our kind of guys. So you know, even though this guy is a no star, he's our kind of guy. So that makes him a five star. And, and and there's not it's not like there's not some truth to that. I've always said. You know, the recruiting rankings are sort of in a vacuum. They're, they're looking at the prospect and how good he is relative to other prospects, right? But 
how that prospect fits in a system relative to another player changes things completely. You know, it's not like a draft situation. This is how does this guy fit in this particular program? And you, you know, go back to like Jack Sears, you know, as opposed to maybe some other quarterback. There may be, you know, quarterback out there that's a great quarterback, has a great arm, but doesn't necessarily fit what USC is doing right now. So while that other quarterback in a vacuum is a five-star compared to a guy like Jack Sears, who's a four-star, you put Jack Sears in USC system, and all of a sudden it makes him more of a five-star because he just fits that system well. So there is a little bit of our kind of guys, but I think that's not talking so much about system as it's trying to basically say outside the lines, you know, in the locker room, he's our kind of guy. So that's an excuse for recruiting whoever you're recruiting is going to be a good player because he's our kind of guy. So it, it's a, yeah, it's a little bit of a PR thing, and you know Stanford sort of does that as well, and USC is is, is sort of doing that in, in some extent too. And USC, there was some talk, even a guy like you know Keyshawn Young, whether he sort of fit at USC, whether you know Clay Hilton felt like he was a guy that was going to fit at USC, and so. They brought him along, and, and, and there were some, maybe some skeptical people at first uh, with him just in terms of how he handled himself and how he was as a recruit uh, as opposed to how he would fit in the school. But thus far, he's fitting great, and he's a guy that's all smiles all the time, um, hearing that you know a lot of the, the players just love him, and, and, and he's just one of the most favorite guys in the locker room because he's so positive all the time, and that's worked out pretty well to this point. And so you know, there's, there's those things where you can, you can have – a, a, a prejudice sort of, of, okay, these are our kind of guys, you know, and on the recruiting trail, and you talk to somebody and you think they're somebody, but it doesn't always turn out that way. Sometimes you get the kids in to the, to the program, and then they're sort of different than you thought. And so, you know, that it's, it's okay to have sort of a, a set standard of, of who you want, but it can't be so stringent and, and inflexible that you, you, you maybe dismiss some other really good players um, you know, just because you're you're looking into too much, you know, there's little things that you might put too much emphasis on uh, off the field. So yeah, it's it's a there's there's some there's some there's some truth to it. You know, there's some okay, yeah, you have to have sort of an outline of of the player you're looking for, and and you know, is he a good student, and how of a good student is he? Is he articulate enough? Uh, you know, I've always talked about the difference between UCLA, like a UCLA guy, as compared to a USC guy. You know, some recruits you just go. Eh, yeah, he seems more like a UCLA kid. Like, I can see that. And then you see another kid, you go, eh, no, I'm more USC guy. And I've always been questioning about that. But that's more of the tradition and sort of the trend of the type of personalities that you come across. It's not so much, you know, making that, like, okay, that's the kind of guy that USC wants to recruit. It's just that's the kind of guy that sort of goes to USC as opposed to UCLA. Um, so it's a different, you know, that's a different call on it. Um, but with the coaches sort of putting that out there, it is, you know, sort of justifying the guys that they're recruiting and saying, oh, yeah, they're our kind of guy. Well, coach, yeah, but uh, he's, he doesn't look very good on film. And, yeah, but he's our kind of guy. So, you know, he must be great. So <laughs> there's a little bit of that going on, too. Um, Phil wrote in. He said aloha, mahalo. But I, he was talking about basically your opening rant and what we've talked about um you know, with the recent run that USC's had on the field, how it impacted recruiting. So I think we talked a lot about that already, but if you wanted to add anything else, but that's, um, I just wanted to mention him since he sent that in. Anything else you wanted to add to that, Gerard? No, it's just a matter of, again, the last two games and, and, you know, even the bowl game, 
um, how they finish and, and sort of, you know, what, what they're going to be able to point to when they go in home with those kids, yeah. uh, you know, in January and have the official visits and say, look at, you know, this is, this is, this is where we are right now as a football program. This is how far we've come. Don't you want to be a part of this thing? And, and how much that momentum is able to sweep in some kids that may be on the cusp, you know, of, of, of being guys that have interest in USC, but being able to close the deal with uh, some of those bigger guys. Um, that's just really the question. And we're not going to have that answer really until we get into, you know, late January, really. Yeah. And I think the, the five game winning streak was one thing. Um, you know, Colorado was in there, but that was basically it as far as, you know, decent teams. Beating Washington on the road is a whole nother. That's a, that's another level. Beating both rivals, uh, very important. And then, of course, if you can beat a, a name school in a bowl game, all of those things will add to stuff you can bring to the living room, uh, throughout, yeah. you know, January. It's, it's credit. I mean, it's just like credit. It's an accumulation. You know, people keep asking, well, you know, the state of the program and where's the program going? And, you know, it's, it's, you can't, you, everybody wants to be first on the call, right? Everybody wants to be the first one to say, oh, yeah, so they could say, I told you so. I'm so genius. I have this divine power that I can tell the future, and I told you guys. But, that, you know, we know that's not, that's not the way things work out, and it's better to be honest and sincere in saying, look, it, it, time goes on. The one thing that Clay Helton, like I said, doesn't have on his resume is a bunch of wins as a head coach and things that he can point to and say, look, it. I've been able to to build this and develop players to be able to do this, this, and this. And so as he goes along, that's the one thing he has to accumulate, just like credit. And it's not it's not one game, and it's not even you know five games. It's it's one of those things like USC loses this week, and how much of that great win is vanished? It's sort of like with Ed Ergeron. Yeah, USC beat Stanford, and they turn around and they blew out Colorado. Then they turn around and got routed at home against UCLA, you know, that kind of erased all the good stuff that he did when you get beat up by UCLA at home. And so it, there's a balance counterbalance. And so you, you have to try to get as many chips on one side of that teeter-totter as possible and, and accumulate as much credit. So when you do lose, it doesn't take that big hunk, you know, as much. It doesn't take as much out of the momentum that you have. And right now, Clay Helton just doesn't have enough chips on the one side that one loss isn't going to affect everything. One loss is still going to be a big deal. You know, there's still that resonation coming from, that's not even a word, resonation. There's still <laughs> that, the, the, the resonate that comes from that loss from Alabama, it still resonates with everybody, you know, the fan base, recruits, everybody. You know, that was a really bad loss. That was a stain of a loss on national television. And then you followed up with two other losses that really weren't that good. The Utah game was a good game, hard-fought game. Um, you know, Clay Helton talked about how great of a game was, which got the ire of many people I know, including you, Ryan. Um, but, that was a, but that was a good game. And that was a game they, sh- they really, I don't want to say should have won, but they could have won for sure. You know, they don't turn the ball over. Stanford game was bad, and the, the, the Alabama game was, was, was terrible too. And, and again, you know, turnovers had a lot to do with it. Do I think that you, you know, people are always, you know, now that you're at the point where USC is ranked and they want, you know, fans start comparing with other teams. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how bipolar the fan base can be because, goodness gracious, after they lost to Alabama, it was like, oh, we want to kill ourselves. We want to start playing football. Um, done with this team. And now they're like, well, shit, man, we, we should be number three in the nation. Who's yeah. going to beat us? <laughs> it's pretty funny how that shifts, you know. 
It's just yeah. like, wow, okay. So now all of a sudden USC's right up there with, with Clemson and Louisville. And we could beat Ohio State. And I, I'm not quite there yet. You know, I, I right. think there's still probably four touchdowns behind an Alabama team. Uh, and they're probably not really close, I think, to Ohio State or Michigan. From what I've seen, I just don't think USC's playing with the physicality up front to play with those teams. But they've got two weeks to prove that, Maybe, you know, they're still getting better in that area, too. You know, so, I mean, you know, we're, 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 again, we don't want to make too many grand assumptions here. There's no divine power giving us these these predictions here. Right. Uh, Percy and Gilbert both wrote in. I'll read. So, Percy said, how are big-time defensive Percy line rec- recruits responding to this team's current run? And then Gilbert wants to know, are we looking to go after pass rushing since we've been having trouble these last couple of years? Well, yeah. I mean, I think defensive line, yeah, there's some some kids definitely looking at USC. I think, again, in terms of the big names, and we sort of talked about this in a piece that I wrote that was the state of recruiting, and it discussed, you know, the marquee name and that defensive line that you sort of want to build around. USC wants to have a pretty deep defensive line class. You're looking at probably five guys, and that probably includes Hunter Eccles at this point, from what I hear. So maybe... It's more like four, but I always looked at Hunter Eccles sort of as that hybrid guy, so I don't know if I really can, you know, count him as a defensive lineman. That's where the blurry line comes in for USC, and you're trying to talk about recruiting numbers. You get that hybrid position, and the linebackers playing at the line of scrimmage. It's like, are you counting those guys as defensive linemen, or are they linebackers? Uh, but anyways, so USC wants to bring in five defensive linemen in this class, and when you bring in five, you're not going to bring in a five, four-star, five-star guy. It's not unless you're Alabama. At this point, not unless you like are really you've been winning for a few years, you got guys going to the NFL and you could sell them on, you know, being drafted and they're going to come in for this guy that's just going to leave. You, you're you're down the road here. You're at USC 2008 is basically when you can start to go, OK, maybe we can line this up and we can get a class of five defensive linemen and we're going to get, you know, four four stars and one five star. OK, where USC is right now, that's not going to happen. Where USC wants to do. They want to build the mortar, and they want to build the bricks, and they want to make that wall. And so it's mortar. They're trying to get guys that they can develop. you got guys like James Lynch. you got guys like Jacob Lichtenstein that are you know, 6'5", 270 pounds, 250 pounds, guys that they're going to put on weight, and they're going to develop within the system. And we're going to see how USC develops players. And certainly that has to be the focus. I just actually answered a question like this on the Peristyle and talks about player development taking priority over recruiting. And Clay Helton, the one thing that he's seen over the years, have been part of the coaching staff for the past six years, is USC recruiting very well. But what do they have to show for it? Not a whole lot. A lot of eight-win seasons. So if you're Clay Helton, you're thinking, okay, we need to put a little more focus on coaching. Like recruiting's great, and we we need to have talent, and we're not going to ignore it. But the player development part of this, the coaching part of the guys that we actually have on the roster, is first and foremost. So I, I don't have an issue. I can't be overcritical of them not recruiting uh, as hard as maybe Sark staff or Lane Kiffin staff during the season when they're trying to focus on winning games and developing the guys they have. Because if you get that that sort of that culture and mentality within your program – then bringing in a guy like Jacob Lichtenstein is a great example of a guy that can end up being a really good player at USC. You know, the Liam Jemins of the world, the Christian Rectors of the world. You've got to have more of those guys, and you're going to have this amazing five-star guy that's going to be Leonard Williams. 
mean, that's just, that's just the way it goes. And you're going to win a lot of games like that. You just got to have the bodies that can come in and contribute and play uh, fundamentally sound football, hard-nosed football, aggressive football, and then you pepper in those guys that are the marquee featured players, the guys like Marvin Wilson, the guys like Jalen Phillips, like those guys that are going to be sort of the gravitational, you know, the black holes there on that defensive line. They're just going to suck up all those double teams, and your other guys are going to be able to make plays. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of where USC is right now, where they're trying to get those marquee names. And really the two biggest guys that jump up on the board are Marvin Wilson and Jay Tufeli. Right now, those are the two guys that are difference makers that I can see. And really, for me, Jay Tufeli is, is a notch above all of them. I, I haven't really seen anything from any other guy that they're recruiting that I think he is at that level. Uh, there are other really good players there that can definitely make a difference early on, but I think Jay Tufeli is the guy. So do the wins help? They do help. But again, we're at this point where USC's got ground to make up, I think, with all of them. So we're going to see how that goes the next couple of months. Um, SC made along the same lines. He said, with the success, uh, that Stevie, uh, T's had, Tuikulavatu has had on the defensive line for us this year. Do you believe that Clay and Clancy will want someone of his size in this recruiting class? We have heard very little about Noah Ellis and was curious if there are other guys that GM sees out there with that kind of size or potential size in this class. Yeah. Noah Ellis, uh, six, five, 320 pound, defensive tackle from Valor Christian out there in Colorado is a guy that's just completely off the radar as, as far as doing interviews and kind of trying to get information. Um, the last interview we had, I think Blair and Kulo actually went out there for a game and, and, and interviewed him, and USC didn't come up uh, in that interview. And, and he doesn't come up very often in conversations uh, about USC. Um, so, at this point, I don't think he's necessarily a, a top target or a guy that um, is is somebody that is really seriously interested in USC. That can change, you know. You something happens, and all of a sudden he connects, and boom, makes a phone call, and he's in on an official visit. Things can change pretty quickly, especially with a guy that's you know closer, a little more regional. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I can see where USC definitely wants to get one of those guys. I mean, Marvin Wilson's one of those guys. He's like six three, six four. Six, four you know, like 330-plus pounds. Uh, there's definitely that, that, that need and want for that sort of one-shade guy that can just take up all those double teams and is really strong. Um, a lot of people bring up the, the junior college transfer and, and the option of bringing in a guy from junior college. You know, we just haven't seen anybody at that level that USC's recruiting that USC would have a good shot at Nine times out of ten, those guys are in, like, Mississippi or something, and it's just really hard to recruit those guys. Just academically, it's hard to get those guys in. USC made a, a last-minute move, uh, last recruiting class, with uh, Josh Fatu. And that was obviously a big deal. Josh Fatu has contributed this, this season and been a pretty good player for USC, and he was really under the radar for the longest time. He got his scholarship offer, I believe, on signing day from USC last year. So... That's, you know, these, <laughs> these things can happen at the last minute. They might have some junior college guy tucked away somewhere who could be a good player. But, you know, is he going to be the level of a Stevie Col- uh, a Tui Kolovatu? Probably not. And we knew, you know, how big Stevie was going to be for USC. The coaches talked him up a lot during the offseason and said, he's, he's huge to us, to our success right now. I mean, this is, this is the guy. This is the guy that not just from the standpoint of his talent, but just his maturity. You know, just that he's a grown man 
that, that you have in the middle of your defense. And it really helps settle everybody around you. And so, you know, they're gonna, it's going to be tough losing him. And do they have a guy that they can just plug in there? No, obviously the, the biggest probably get, the biggest recruit on the board right now for USC at that position is going to be Noah Jefferson. That's the guy that they really have to get back into the program. They've got to get him back on track and focus because we know he's a difference maker. We know he's a guy that can definitely, definitely be a guy that can make plays for them and sort of been, again, sort of that gravitational point for the defensive line. So um, that's, that's really where USC has to work at. They do have some talent on the, office, or the defensive line right now just on the roster. They've got some good players. So it's not necessarily like, oh, they're completely – you know, they have no players and they have to restock completely. That's not really true. I mean, you've got Rasheem Green there. Um, you do have some younger guys there like Kevin Scott, uh, Christian Rector. Liam Jemmins has come along and is 290 now and developing into being a guy that can probably can contribute here down the line. Um, so they've got some, some young talent there and they've got some guys. It's just a matter of continuing to bring those type of guys in, which they, which they are. They have a few of those guys. Um, Terrence Lang is another guy that, that – is a raw sort of prospect. He he could end up being a marquee player. He's 6'6", 285 pounds, um, out of Marinessa High School, a, a basketball player. But he's very raw, and he could go either way. He could be more of a Roy Helmsley type, or he could be a guy that ends up being a Kenichi Adizi type. You know, it just depends on, t- on how he develops and how much coaching he's able to absorb uh, to get better and get more physical. He's not an immediate impact player, but down the line he could end up being one of those guys. Uh, but the marquee guys that are going to make that difference next year, there's only a, a handful of guys out there and probably only two or three that are probably going to visit USC. So you know, that's what January is going to be about. It's going to be about Kenichi Odizi um, trying to, you know, he got Rashawn Baker uh, to, to, no, Rashawn Baker? Yeah, Rashawn Baker. No, 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 Rashawn Gary, um, the number one recruit in the nation last year from New Jersey, got him on an official visit and was able to, you know, give him something to think about. I, I don't think he was ever coming to USC, and certainly at that point, Kenichi Odizi wasn't even the full-time defensive line coach. But the fact that they were able to bring him in and get him on campus and, and make his mom say, you know, they really like Kenichi Odizi and they really liked USC, that was kind of a, a little bit of a win in and of itself. You know, and then a, a couple of weeks later, Kenichi Odizi was named the full-time defensive line coach. So, you know, he's got to pull that in again, and now he's got a little bit more rep, a little more credibility, just like Clay Helton, and if they can win out, then maybe one of these guys he's able to close the deal with. Um, SC Mate had another question. He says, does uh, Stephen Carr compare in some way to Royce Freeman from Oregon? He seems to be built very well, great hands, and still has enough speed to break big runs at the running back position. And then he said, thanks so much for the great podcast and all the hard work uh, your team puts in for the P. Um, similar in some respects, but I wouldn't compare him as, yeah, he's the next kind of guy. Um, somebody did make a really good comparison for Stephen Carr, and I'm blanking on what it was. It was on the Peristyle a couple months ago. And it, it, the thing about Royce Freeman, he's, he's a very powerfully built player, and he sort of always has been. You know, he came out of high school about 220, almost pushing 230. Um, he's a bigger guy. And so, uh, you know, in terms of speed, uh, you know, probably a, a little better straight line speed maybe than Stephen Carr. Um, I think the thing about Stephen Carr that makes him special is his lateral speed, his vision, his movement, his balance. Um, he's quicker than really he is fast. He's not a real top-end guy. But he's really, I mean, for me, 
you know, like after the things you see from Acro Cedric Ware, he's he's just a better version of that. Um, you know, he's got great hands. He's a fantastic receiver out of the backfield. Uh, as I said before, really good vision, uh, breaks tackles. You know, he needs to get into probably a little stronger into that probably like 215 range. Um, but kind of feel the same thing about Acrocentric Ware. I think he needs to be putting on more weight. He needs to be a little, be a little stronger. That's more where his game needs to gravitate towards rather than trying to be sort of a finesse type, okay, keep my speed type of thing. I don't think Acrocentric Ware is going to get a whole lot slower if he puts on, you know, 10 pounds, 15 pounds. Same thing sort of goes with Stephen Carr. Um, but, uh, you know, Stephen Carr, I guess, you know, maybe Clinton Portis, it would be a, a good example, maybe a good comparison for him. You know, Clinton Portis was a very good combo back that sort of did everything really, really well. Um, he wasn't a big-time game-breaker in terms of his speed, um, and he wasn't, like, overly huge and powerful, but he was just really good all around, and he did everything really well. And that's sort of with Stephen Carr. I think Stephen Carr could be a really good pass blocker. He's got he's to get better at it but he has the potential of being a very good pass blocker. And that, really more than anything, is going to get him on the field early. You know, that's what got Akrocedric Ware on the field early. You know, if you can't block as a freshman running back, well, guess what? It's, it's the coaching staff is not going to let you go out there and get their quarterback killed. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair point. Uh, let's see. Tarek wrote in. He said, if Austin Jackson signs with USC, will he be big enough to start at left tackle one day? Seems like he needs to put on a lot of weight. It would seem like he does have to put on more weight. Um, so that's a that's a fair observation. You know, we did see Chuma Doga play some, um, and he was probably playing at like 280, 275. And so I, I could see him kind of having that type of role where he does actually play, but is he starting as a true freshman? Uh, that's gonna that's gonna be it's gonna be on how much he could develop in the weight room and how much bigger he can get. Um, we've seen, you know, it it it. it it happened, guys that you know have contributed, but at a full time starter, yeah, I'm a little bit skeptical of that as well. At anywhere, at any college, I think that that's going to be kind of difficult for him unless he can get to that 285 range. Um, but even then, you know, how much weight is he putting on? And how much of it is muscle? The big thing about that is you got grown ass men on that defensive line that you've got to block, and that's really where physicality is at its greatest in college football. And so that's why it's harder for those guys. To, to, to be really good early on. I mean, you get a guy like Chris O'Dowd who can start from day one as a freshman, as a center, that's really, really impressive. That's really a guy that's coming out of high school and is hitting the weights and has been very serious uh, about uh, getting stronger. And so, yeah, it doesn't happen very often, and, and I can see why people would be skeptical of him being an immediate impact player. Uh, but, you know, as, as time goes on and the season goes on, uh, he may be a guy that plays more and more, and he may need to play more and more because USC doesn't have an established guy uh, to come in and play that position. All right, um, let's see. We had Ted Manhattan Beach wrote in, and he had the anti-Gerard question, at least in my mind, like like basically one of those, so who's the rest of the guys that USC is going to sign? Well, I'm not even going to ask you that um, because there's <laughs> we can't go over all that stuff. Uh, but he had another question, and he said, any thoughts on JC transfers, Kendall Sheffield, and Blake Barnett? I believe these players are immediately eligible. Ted in Manhattan Beach. Right. Blake Barnett, no interest. Uh, I'm hearing probably UCLA for Blake Barnett. Uh, Kendall Sheffield, USC, had him on an official visit. Uh, obviously, they like him. It's really hard to gauge how much he likes USC because he just refuses to do any interviews at all. 
Um, and he was kind of sort of like that as a recruit when he was coming out of high school. He was really hard to get a hold of. You really had a lot of second, third-hand information when it was dealing with him and sort of what it is now. Uh, but from USC side of things and talking to sources sort of on this side of the country, there's some, there's some good feelings and some positivity and the communication is there. Um, and it sounds like he's definitely very interested because he knows that Adore Jackson is more likely leaving and that's going to open up that other uh, corner spot. And so, um, yeah, I mean, USC definitely has uh, potential of being able to sign him. Um, I, I believe he's an early enrollee because he was a qualifier out of high school. He just transferred from Alabama um, for whatever reason. I, I've heard he just didn't get along with the coaches. He was actually starting and, and sharing a starting role in spring football and over the summer uh, across from uh, Marlon Humphreys. Um, so he was a guy that was actually slated to get some good amount of playing time. But evidently there was some, some, some conversations that he had with Nick Saban and there were some interactions that he had. And, and we obviously know, you know, Nick Saban can, can um, be a little grumpy sometimes, I guess you could say. And uh, they felt like he maybe he wasn't physical enough to be able to start for corner for them and, and be a guy that could come up. And obviously Alabama, a very physical team, and their defensive backs come up and they tackle very well. And so there was some skepticism as to whether Kendall Sheffield was going to be able to fit inside that defense. And maybe he felt that. Maybe he felt like, although he was getting some, some starting time and, and, and being with the first-team rotation, maybe they were just trying to placate him and he never had a shot at really being a starter. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But that's sort of what the situation was there. And he transferred out. Uh, but he was a full qualifier, so he should be able to come in right away. And obviously that would be big for USC. I mean, if you lose Adore Jackson to the draft, uh, then you're going to lose him for spring ball. And so getting you know those early enrollees, that's what really ha- helps, is being able to have those 15 days of practice and being able to be a part of the team and acclimate a little bit and uh, get you that farther ahead you know, as you're going into fall camp. So uh, they do have potential to get him. And I think with USC right now, I think they're feeling pretty good about the corner position, uh, just you know, talking to a few people. Um, there's a lot of names there. There's a lot of dudes. And that, that's the one position where they're going to bring in a bunch of guys on visits. And USC's been running a lot of nickel defenses. They're running a lot of you know, three safeties out there. Then they go in the nickel when they put a Shane Harris out there, and they're running five defensive backs. So in terms of being able to sell the defense and the scheme, it's a very pro-secondary defensive back scheme right now. It's just a matter of, uh, defensive back coach Ronnie Bradford and Clancy Pendergast um, getting down there and just doing the legwork and, and bringing these guys in and, and recruiting hard. And that's really going to be the big question. And then we got one last one for you, Gerard. Uh, Taylor wrote in. He said, can you compare current director of player personnel, Eric Ziskin, to Austin Thomas and the last year's DPP, Alex Rios? Uh, do you think that Ziskin is a long-term fix here and can you see USC adding more recruiters on the support staff in the offseason thanks and fight on from Taylor the last question yes I mean I think that like I said in terms of the investment into the support staff uh more is definitely better and I don't know where USC is in terms of the investment they have uh financially as a you know the dollar amount I don't know where they're at but I can't see it being within like a million dollars of Alabama at this point where you got Steve Sarkeesian and um, Mike Loxley and guys that were former head coaches at other places. They're, they're probably making more money, I think, than, uh, than Eric and Alex and those guys. And, and certainly, you know, I, and, and, you know, they have the resumes to do that, to command that kind of salary. Um, but I think USC could definitely put more into their support staff. So from that standpoint, more recruiters, yes, definitely. 
Um, I think that's sort of the new arms race in college football. It's, it's no longer facilities. It's the support staff and how many people you have, you know, working support staff. And eventually the end of it may become that the NCAA says, okay, well, okay, full-time coaches, you're off the road. Full-time coaches, you're not going to be recruiting like you once were. Um, you can have, you know, uh, you know the, the phone conversations with kids and you can do that stuff. But, you know, in terms of the valuations for May and, and going off field, um, you know, you're going to get your one in-home visit or whatever it may be. You can be there for official visits. But the support staff will become more like an NFL uh, scouting staff, and they will be on the roads, and they will be doing the evaluations, and so it will be sort of shifted in terms of the importance of uh, of being a good recruiter uh, as a coach, as a full-time coach. You know, it will change a little bit. I could see that happening, and that's sort of what I think the Alabamas and the Texases and Ohio States and everybody's sort of almost anticipating. They're anticipating that the support staff is going to be sort of first contact for maybe a lot of these recruits. So we'll see how that shakes out, but I definitely think, yeah, USC can invest more than there. Comparing Eric with uh, Austin Thomas, the different they were diff- different positions completely. I mean, uh, you know, Eric's coming in as a guy that's a that's a personnel guy um, that's involved with recruiting, but uh, Austin Thomas is basically an associated AD. I mean, he was coming in to be the guy that was sort of a GM of sorts um, for recruiting and for the program. So different, different, different positions completely. So you can't really compare the two apples and oranges. Um, Alex Rios has been in the program for a long time and done a great job and continues to do a great job. I think he's a guy that's sort of, everybody calls him like the ambassador to USC. And I think the player relations part of this with the support staff is huge because these are the guys that talk to these kids when they get on campus and take them on tours and do a lot of that legwork. And so, you know, Gavin Morris is another guy who's the high school relations guy who is just a vital part of the face of USC to recruits and to the high school coaches. That's that that part of it has become more and more on the support staff. And it, it's like that with every program, but really so much with USC. And we saw in that weird transition point, and that's what we got to remember about last year, is that, I mean, USC didn't have a full-time coaching staff till what, in the middle of January? I mean, I was talking about Kenichi Odizi and him uh, hosting <laughs> Rashad Carey on campus, and he wasn't even the full-time defensive line coach yet. The number one defensive lineman in the nation, the number one overall player in the nation, and you do not have a full-time defensive line coach. Uh, and the defensive coordinator situation was just getting hashed out. I can't remember if Clancy had actually been uh, hired at that point or not, but... I mean, there was obviously a lot of uncertainty with USC. So this offseason, they're not going to have any of that. You know, maybe you, maybe there's a coach that leaves or something happens like that. But in terms of the, the staff as a, as a whole, there's not going to be that uncertainty, and they can just hit the ground running with the staff that they have, and that's going to help things a lot. Um, but what we saw last year, really the, the bulk of it, the responsibility was on the support staff. And they freaking they, they hit the ball out of the freaking park with that. I mean, again – you got Rashawn Gary on campus, and you didn't have a full-time defensive line coach. That's, like, unheard of. So, you know, Alex Rios was kind of sort of the lead recruiter on Rashawn Gary. He was the guy making contact with mom and setting up the visit and all that kind of other stuff. So, you know, yeah, it's a big deal, and those guys have done a tremendous job, and it's, they're, they're unsung heroes. So every time I get a chance to actually speak up for them, I try to. Well, I'm glad you did. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. I always love talking to Alex. He's got a great uh... – Great mustache now. <laughs> you see him out there on the field. <laughs> yeah, after the game. I don't know, but, but yeah, no, that might be the one thing. That, that might be negative recruiting there for USC is the mustache. I don't know. He's got a pretty awesome mustache. But, yeah, shout out to Alex. Um, all right, well, hey, 
man, we went over hour and 10 minutes. This was a, a long one, but we, you know, I think, well, I guess we didn't do one last week. We did one the week before. Lots of recruiting updates. So we wanted to get you on and share, you know, share all the thoughts, the knowledge bombs with the USC fans out there on USC recruiting. So thanks for doing that, Gerard. Well, thank you for having me as always. And we'll probably be doing more and more podcasts. We might even have to have emergency recruiting podcasts here in January. That's, that's Ooh. a new thing that Ryan has coined is the emergency park <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we could use some. Yeah. I don't know. I, I almost did one in the uh, airport. Up in SeaTac on my flight. That's usually where you like to do them is airports. Yeah, those are kind of fun. But I mean, it wasn't an emergency like a bad emergency. It was an emergency like, holy crap, USC beat Washington emergency. But um, those are better kinds of emergencies, I guess. Uh, unless- is there ever? Yeah, is there ever a good emergency though? That that would be, I don't know. If usually when somebody says there's an emergency, it is bad. It's sort of inherent in the in the yeah. word emergency. I don't know by definition. If the if that implies bad, but sort of does, maybe we have to change it. Maybe um, I don't know something that suddenly comes up that's great. You have to figure out a good word, a way to coin it. Yeah, like a spontaneous joy. I don't know. We'll do something. We'll <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at Gmart Live. If you're not doing that, you're just silly. Of course, be a subscriber to USCFootball.com. Get all the updates on the Peristyle. His target lists are up for November. Awesome reading. You have to read it if you like USC recruiting. If you listen to 110 minutes of the podcast and you haven't been a subscriber yet, <laughs> there's something wrong with you, dude. Like you need to check it or, or men or women, whoever. If you listen this long to our podcast, bam. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, that's Gerard. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for checking out our little recruiting blast podcast and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.